0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. to you. I'm Linda Kozar, your host, on the Along Came a Writer Talk Show, a show that features true stories from truly amazing people. I will be interviewing an amazing guest, Marilyn Houghton Marriott, author, speaker, and counselor whose upcoming release, The Children of Main Street, will rend your heart. It did that to me, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Well-written and heart-rending. Marilyn is an author, speaker, and counselor. Her first novel, The Children of Main Street, is at the publishing house of Firefly Southern Fiction and will be released next year. She won first place for unpublished manuscripts in women's contemporary fiction at the Florida Christian Writers Christian Florida Florida Christian Writers Conference 2017. I don't want to say Christian twice. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Marilyn. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having me, Linda. Oh, I was glad a to pleasure. be here. Um, yes. Um, well, uh, so let's let's just dive right into this and talk about your debut novel. Tell us a little bit about it, um, and you know, and for our listeners later, Marilyn is going to read an excerpt, uh, probably toward the end of the show. Yeah, right at the end, and it'll be a nice sneak peek into. Um, a book that won't be out until November. So tell us about your novel, The Children of Main Street.
1: Well, I love this book. I love the work that I did that led to writing the book. Um, It's a book about a gal named Katie and she is um, a licensed professional counselor, same as me. And so you have two love stories. It's a love story between Catherine and her husband, Jordan. And it's a love story between Catherine or Katie and the children. She goes to extraordinary means to help children that she feels like has gone through, oh gosh, uh, molestations, beatings, um, abandonment, uh, just all kinds of things that kids have gone through. And katie will really do anything to help the kids and I um, and it no in in these days
0: um counselors are probably afraid to go to those lengths right
1: um, uh yes <laughs> when i look back on it you know i wonder i i probably could have gotten into trouble for some of the things um, that i did when i was the one in the counseling seat but i always felt like god called me into that profession to be a licensed counselor and so i just um I, sometimes i think back then i was naive uh you know and would think god would just cover me with anything and it all did work out in my life and it works out in katie's life in the book
0: well, we should probably uh, probably say that um, some of the experiences in this book are based on your oh my own, gosh as a counselor.
1: Yes, and I, I want to, you know, underscore that it is based on, um, you know, inspired by, because I would not expose any, everything that happened to people without, you know, it's just inspired by, but yes, I worked through incredible situations and I'm glad that I had that opportunity. I I wouldn't trade that opportunity for anything else in the world because I feel like with God's help, I truly made a difference in these children's lives. And, and you know, um... when I, Oh, go ahead. No, no, go on. No, no. You go oh, on. I was just going <laughs> to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, when I sold the practice and moved with my husband to Ohio for him to be the vice president and, and dean of the college, we got there. And, you know, I had loved my practice so much. And I got there. And even though I did teach at Mount Union College in Alliance, Ohio, I didn't know what to do with myself because I had been a college professor on Tuesdays and Thursdays and a clinician on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And I missed the work so badly that I sat down. I just started thinking up stories with the experiences that I had. And, you know, to find something to do with myself, I actually wrote the book, the first draft, longhand um, on on yellow legal pads um, when I was which is working. Rare these days. <laughs> I do, I'm sorry <laughs> what which is rare these which, days <laughs> oh I, I, my goodness I know it and then I figured out that wouldn't work but it took me a while and I had the attitude which seemed okay at the time but didn't when I started writing a book was I employ all these people <laughs> you know I had a secretary I, um, an office manager and all of those had to have those people had to have office skills and so you know they did all of my uh, word processing for me and so I never learned I, I was a great therapist I believe with God's help but I never ever learned to use the computer but I have learned writing this book how to use the computer <laughs> <laughs> for me (laughs) no
0: no before you were published i mean this took some time sometimes did you did you have the idea that it might be relatively easy to do i mean a lot of people kind of have that impression (laughs) you know uh, especially (laughs) if they were a professor
1: (laughs) right Uh, or had a lot of Um, experience that's a yeah I think I thought it would be easy. Now, writing the first draft of the first uh, book, that the one that will be out on November 15th, I, I mean, I just sat down and it wrote me. Now, I haven't found writing subsequent things quite that easy. <laughs> but for that because one book, I mean, I just sat down. I know. Yeah. But I was just At so one. full of these stories.
0: Well, and, and people write books, they might write, say, 10 pages and say, well, I finished my book. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, I've, I've heard finished that a, lot. A, a good portion of it. Well, it's 10 pages. <laughs> um, there you so, go. Okay,
1: but there's, there's
0: a lot you learn in the whole process. Um,
1: oh, now my gosh.
0: Can you take us back to to your practice and tell us a bit about it? Because even the way things are described like your your porch um and mm-hmm. your swing with the quilts on it can you tell us about all mm-hmm. those nice little touches you had for the oh
1: i tell you i absolutely loved that building it was like a second home to me and i had always even when i was in graduate school and i knew i was going to open a practice i never saw myself in an office building because People can be very broken uh, because of a situation, and they don't want to face, uh, you know, a brick and metal high-rise or something. So I had always known that I was going to find an old house, and I was going to have it renovated into uh, a very functioning clinic inside. But oh yeah, the the house was ninety years old, and I mean, it had incredible concrete porches on the front and the back, and each end of the porch was flanked by um, these big posts, you know, like columns, and I thought, that's my office, the first time I ever drove by it. Now, it took a little while to make it happen, you know, uh, because we had to do so much the inside had to be torn down it had to have a new roof it had to have paint but the building was just it it was such a blessing to find the exact home that i wanted for my practice but yeah we had had uh, actually. (laughs) it had perfect bones that's exactly right And I had actually underestimated the success of how many people would come, especially when I hired a social worker, you know, and had a couple of interns. But um, we had a kind of a parking problem situation. So my son worked there as an insurance clerk, and and people learned to just drop their keys when they came in because they knew Michael was going to move it wherever it would fit. But the building itself, oh, and then I'm a flower person. I've always had some kind of little oh. flower garden. And so, I mean, it's the most gorgeous hibiscus and everything you can think of that we landscaped the yard. Uh, of course, just the side yard, we covered the front yard in concrete, you know, for a parking place, which turned out to be too small. But uh, <laughs> it, it was just absolutely a great place. I have a I have a just funny, funny story make- about listen.
0: that. Yeah. To make yes. it a pleasant experience
1: I have a, to <laughs> i'm telling you i have mm-hmm. a funny story if you think we have time
0: oh we do we have um, tell- a lot of time actually
1: <laughs> yes we do okay well when i first opened the clinic and you know it it was really the fulfillment of a dream and people came just like i thought they would and i would always pray lord give me the words to say that will help and and please don't ever let me hurt anybody and I would say that every day when I was walking in the back door. But anyway, when we were rotating cars all the time, I would go home every day and tell Rick, that's my husband, I have a parking problem. You know, and he would say, how was the date? Baby, there's, there's not enough parking. And so every day I would come home so frustrated. And one day he said, get in the car. And I said, okay. And... Um, we drove you know, a few blocks from our house and there was this Mexican restaurant that at one time I had liked but under new management I didn't like it. And when he pulled into the parking lot, I said, Rick, I don't want to eat here And he said, Marilyn, no one else does either and I looked around at a parking <laughs> lot that would ease that would easily have parked a hundred cars, and I'm not kidding because it was sitting right in the middle of the biggest parking lot you've ever seen. And there were there were places, you know, for the people who work there to park. And then there were two cars that were customers. And he said, "Sweetheart, this is a parking problem."
0: Ah. Uh huh. Wow. That's
1: what he was letting wow. me know. You. You know, when you're so successful, you're moving cars and moving cars. That's not really a parking problem. But having a business where nobody wants to come, that's a parking problem. And I never looked at it it as being so terrible again. Uh, There was a store next door that had a uh, car wash. And the car wash went defunct, and I asked them if the, if my staff could park there. So over time, we worked it out, but I never whined about it again. I just kept saying, God, thank you for all of these people.
0: Yes, thank you for all these cars. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs> but it was a, be- and we put in the swings and, and you know, the uh, rocking chairs you're talking about. As a matter of fact, the front porch. It had a swing and two rocking chairs. The back porch had a swing and uh, some wicker chairs. But the front porch actually served as an overflow waiting room. On pretty uh, a pleasant days, uh huh, mm-hmm. a pleasant one. And out back, I would take most of my children clients because um, if you've ever been in the business of of therapy, you'll know that children don't want to sit in a ten by twelve room. So we would go out there, and it's amazing how how easier it is to get them to talk to you outside. So the building was perfect.
0: Sitting on a nice, on a, with a quilt wrapped <laughs> around them.
1: Absolutely, yeah. it was just wonderful.
0: Nice. Um, uh-huh. So, how do you how do you as a counselor separate yourself from the emotional angst of hearing all these? Terrible things sometimes. I mean, really, really awful things. How do you um, compartmentalize that?
1: Angst is a really good word. And when I first started, um, I would be so overwhelmed. And it's amazing how when a client will dump their stuff on you, they feel so free, (laughs) which is what you want. And then there I am with these stories inside. And I I probably looked like a moron the first year I was in practice because when I got in the car, I would let down all the windows and I would just say, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. You know, because I (laughs) think my husband needs me, my children needs me, so get out, get out. And then I thought I had learned to handle it better, but then I figured out later that I went 10 years without ever crying a tear and even if there was a disaster in my own home i would immediately go into caretaker role you know instead of Mm. listening like a mother or whatever you know i would go into caretaker you do this and you do this and it's going to be all right we're going to handle this and so um i think the 15 to 20 years that i stayed was long enough but the other thing that helped me so much was I taught at the university on Tuesdays and Thursdays and worked at the clinic Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So every other day I could sit or stand in front of a group of people that I could just assume were totally mentally healthy. <laughs> and if they if they weren't, I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> Although I, I – but I, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't love the work because I truly love the work. You know, that's what pushed me to that those uh, yellow pads in my pencil. I missed it that much, is that I had to so start there, writing something down.
0: Were there some children <laughs> in particular, though, were there some children in particular who you found yourself in a puddle of emotion over?
1: Oh, my gosh. And and I'm not ashamed to write that in the book. You know, when I felt like I was losing my breath or I felt like my lungs had been vacuumed of air and I didn't know what to say, only God could help me. Uh, uh, I just, like I said, I'm not afraid to write it in the book how I felt. And I think that pulls the the reader in closer to the story that they can actually become part of the story, because I write pretty deep, Linda, you have read a couple of chapters, but you know, I yeah. get into a real deep point of view and, and I, I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I can't imagine people not being drawn into the story. When I was doing those most recent edits, you know, a writer goes through edit after edit, after edit. <laughs> and when we I was. Doing, talking about so, <laughs> Yeah, we were, um, I can still get, you know, how you get drawn in as a, a reader to other people's stuff. I got so drawn in again uh, that I would sit here and ball looking for parentheses that weren't <laughs> that weren't in there. You know, it's it's really touching, and I have had a lot of people ask me because I know that my category is women's contemporary fiction. And I have had a lot of people ask me, would a man ever want to read this book? And um, my son, who has lived in a blended family, uh, I would send him at the end of every workday, I, I would send him the copy. And he experienced such healing from some things that had happened to him Um in his blended family with his father and so i think it's a book for everyone everyone that has ever felt abandoned misused um and i think it's particularly male or female i, I wish that anybody who step parents because this, now mm. i saw a lot of adults but i chose to write a, about the children and i think step parents sometimes i think they're unaware of some of the things they're doing, you know, showing partiality to their own child and, right. um, and yeah. of course some, some of them downright awful, you know, we hear all kind of stories yeah. but I think if I, I, it would be my dream that every blended male or female would read this book.
0: Did you ever find it um, difficult to be in the same room with some I'd say some of the parents or step parents when you knew that they had just treated oh, God. that child, they had been like a human waste product to that child, <laughs> they had just yes. been incredibly evil. Was it, difficult there, were, to it sit there?
1: Yeah, there's um, and and I write two different stories, of course, like I said, it's based on and inspired by. But uh, I let you know, I let the reader know that I'm having a terrible time sitting there. And there were there have been times when I'm, I'm sitting in with step parents and I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? You know, let, just listen to your own self, to what you're saying to me. And there ha- also have been times when I have had to leave the room for a minute. You know, just just to get my breathing under control, yeah. to get my anger under yeah. control, and to say and to say a word of prayer. God, who are these people? And you know, <laughs> if you could just open their ears and let them yeah. hear objectively what they're saying to me.
0: Yeah. But yes, I it mean, was
1: very very difficult. Well, it's, it,
0: I think uh, people without any sort of self awareness. I mean, uh-huh. do you think? That's the main problem. They don't really hear what they're
1: saying. They don't really hear how it sounds to other people, you know. I believe that um, because some of the things yeah. that I've heard, I don't think anybody would let come out of their mouth if they could hear themselves objectively. <laughs> um, now,
0: do you feel like this book is, is sort of the apex of all you've done in your career? Like this, this book was like you've been working toward, you know, helping all these kids, but that. This book is the culmination. Mm-hmm. Okay. In I some ways, know. I
1: feel. Yeah. yeah. In in some ways, I feel that way. I know that I had a very successful career, you know, there in the clinic and at the university, um, and so I'm very proud of, of my career from the time I got out of college, and uh, I didn't go to college at the time most people do. I didn't start until I was 35 and didn't get out till I was. Uh, 42 but then still you know had years to work and but being able to tell these stories um, in some ways yes it's the apex of of my career and it also released my mind from thinking about it all of the time does that make sense
0: right you know like I would think
1: I would think of these people and think of these people when I should be asleep and so to be able to write and give the lost a voice, you know, people that had no voice at all, it it was very uh fulfilling. Very, do you ever very wonder fulfilling. About and where, I, where
0: some of these children are now, do you ever wonder?
1: I've <laughs> I wondered and I've checked on some of them. And you know, just <laughs> I suspected um, all that that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, you try to check around in ways that you won't interrupt their life. And right. I don't now I do have some a few adults that drive all the way from Port Arthur. They where I started, they drive two hours, stay and talk two hours and drive back two hours uh, because they don't want to start with somebody new. And uh, but I have uh, especially through the people that used to work for me that still live in that area um oh, yeah. i i have checked yeah I, one of them i checked on directly and i have a relationship with now now but i, I thought we
0: would generalize things more at this point like for those um, okay. would-be authors out there who have true stories to share tell us why it's important to write those true stories as fiction rather than non-fiction In
1: one right in one word anonymity you know how i watch a lot of date lines and there are a lot oh, of people who have a <laughs> <laughs> well there you we have something in common um <laughs> but you know they want to testify they want to help out but they don't want their face shown. and you'll right. see other things where people will wear a wig and let them do you know, make up to you know, give them a bigger nose or small, whatever they do. Boy, but a lot of, yeah. oh yeah, a lot of things. But um, yeah, you can't write it as a memoir. Uh, you know, of course, everybody's been afraid of memoirs since James Fry. But um, I would never write it as a memoir because that would mean that everything I said is true. Uh, and so I've written it as fiction. So to give everyone anonymity and of course change stories, combined stories, uh just done all kind of things to make and, and the book is a lot fiction, but you know, uh but all inspired by things that I have sat in a chair and listened to. You know, there's I didn't Oh go ahead. No, no, no go on. No, no. Go on, I'm host, I'll you. Go on, <laughs> go on. I there want to you hear go. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's, you know, it's just real important to write things as fiction. Uh, to you know, when people come to a therapist, they know they have anonymity. Uh, you know, you can't even be subpoenaed to tell things uh, unless there's a compelling reason like a murder or something but uh it's just real important to you know for the people who trusted me uh to not write it as a memoir or not to write it exactly the way it happened well how but it's still important to give them
0: okay I'm now now moving off in the, well, I'm, I'm moving along in the same direction for other authors. Okay. No problem. About how how you got your big break. When did you connect with your present editor and you can tell us her name and everything (laughs) in the publishing house.
1: Okay. Okay. I sure will. I had written this book and then I finally got it all typed and everything. And, um, I heard about a writers' conference. See, when I wrote the book, Linda, I didn't even know there were Christian writers' conferences. I just wrote a well, book. And, before you and I met, you
0: went to one. and um, Yes. And then I think we met, and, and I read you know some of what you had, and I thought, wow, this is great. Um, <laughs> and then,
1: so it took years.
0: It took years. But then you yes, finally went did. to another conference.
1: Yes, and, and that, that was Blue Ridge. Uh, yes, yeah, the, the Blue, Blue Ridge, Ridge conference. It's a great and, conference you know, you, for anybody here. Who... It is a great conference. It's a large conference. So if you are new, if you're an introvert, and I'm an extrovert, but if you're an introvert, you might want to start at a smaller conference. There was five or 600 people here uh, at Blue Ridge, but they give you opportunities to sign your name, um, like they have 15-minute intervals available and they Mm -hmm. just put their name at the top and what they do whether they're uh, an editor a publisher uh, you know whatever they are and so you look and see well let me see who I want to talk to and so you just fill out your name on one of their 15-minute slots and I had already been uh, before I went over to Eva Marie Everson, who is my hero, but I had already gone to several other places, and I sat down in front of. Them and nobody didn't like, I know that's a double negative, but nobody didn't like the stories. Uh, I mean, if they could tell, you know, I start right in the middle in of of a session. And they were like oh uh-huh. my gosh oh my gosh!" <laughs> but but that was before I had put in two major conflicts in my mind the conflicts that the children went through were enough conflicts and so several people including Aaron Gansky said it is perfect the way it is if you want to sell it as a book of short stories. Now I had never wanted to do that because I thought the life of the therapist, Katie, and her husband, Jordan, and the secretary, Alicia, I thought they carried, you know, the red ribbon that would hold all of the stories together. And so um, you know, I, I would go to other people and again, no one said, hmm, you know, they said, this is good. This is good. And, you know, we'd been told in the session, you know, where you get together at the beginning, they say, do this, do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they said, don't expect anybody to take your one sheet because no one wants to carry 51 sheets in their luggage home. So I I, <laughs> I knew true. that. <laughs> yeah, it is true. So when I sat down in front of Eva Marie Everson, she just said oh my gosh because she had had a situation that she couldn't write about and she said i can't write about my situation but i can help you get this right and but she again said while it was powerful i had to have two conflicts so i it had to be rewritten and one of the conflicts is uh Jordan gets tired of Catherine giving too much of herself to the kids, and he leaves her. And then the other conflict was I made myself younger and childless, so that that was part of my obsession over these children was how badly I wanted um, a child. And but the minute I sat down in front of Eva, I did not. I knew she was an editor i had no idea she was the acquisitions editor for firefly which by the way is just a portion of light of the southern portion of lighthouse uh publishers of the carolinas that's that's the yeah. main name and when i started to um, I, I knew it was a a god thing and she did too and mm-hmm. so when i got reached for my one sheet she said oh wait, that's mine. And I said, you want this? And she said, yes, this is mine. And so I heard <laughs> from her. I, I know it was so funny because I'd been trained not to offer them my one sheet just to show it to them. But she took it and she called me within two days after the conference was over because my, all my contact and information was on too. that one
0: sheet get your energy back because it takes a couple days That's a, after a conference oh let me
1: tell you you're in a coma the first day and then you start to move around a little bit the second day but by the second day she called me and then um, she put me in touch with a uh, an agent her name is Linda Glass and that was the sweetest experience um, I sent her the book and Oh, gosh, it wasn't more than 30 minutes when she emailed me and said, I like this book. And then in another 30 minutes, she wrote back and said, I love this book. And she uh, I don't know, within another hour, she said, this book is amazing. And then on her fourth (laughs) email, I know. And on her fourth email, she Mm -hmm. said, can we talk in the morning? And I thought, well, oh, Lord, she's either going to tell me she would like to represent me or she's going to tell me it's a good book, but it's not what she does and, you know, try to send me on to someone else. But uh, she took me on um, and and I'm I'm really glad I have an agent. I know a lot of people don't want to pay an agent, but I'm really, really glad I have one. And she's wonderful. An agent
0: can make a big difference in your career definitely
1: oh, oh yes I mean a lot of people don't want to pay them they 15% but I'd rather have you know I'd rather sell a lot of books and let her have her cut than sell fewer books and keep all of it you know
0: well for those uh, who might just be starting out um, a lot of people don't know the difference between um, getting something independently published or getting something traditionally published. There are two forms of publishing. And, right. Um, in, in traditional publishing, you will receive a contract and um, a lot of times yes. in advance, which is money that they pay you ahead of time in anticipation of right. getting back. And once you've earned right. back That's what they give you, whether it's, Five thousand or ten thousand. Right. Um, then you right. start getting royalties. Yeah, and though if it yeah. and uh, you know, some people don't understand how that works. And in indie publishing, you're in charge of everything, of getting everything done. Right. And
1: royalties. And that. you so. and Linda, you know more about that than I do. I have not gone the indie publishing route. <laughs> well, it's you, you know, know fun. I mean, I, I understand both. it. I think <laughs> okay. What do you like best? Now, here I am asking you questions.
0: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I I like
0: um, the control uh, for one thing. It's kind of fun because you hire your own editors and stuff. But I also um, I also think, think that some books will never make it to a publishing house. They will never get past. Okay. Um, you know what they think they can sell. There are a lot of good books that were never right. published before. And, Absolutely, um, and now they are being published, and and it is nice. But it, you know, it gives writers options. You know, it, which I do both, and um, right. traditional and indie, and I love it. I love the freedom. So, right. Um, but now, have, uh, let's see. Yeah. I want to know how publishing, how getting published, uh, has changed your life. I mean, you have you don't have the book in your hands yet, which will be exciting. But um, are you planning right. a lunch
1: party? Are you thinking about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I took a class. I was just in Florida again in February, and I took a class, and I'm glad I did. On um, how to launch a book without losing your mind (laughs) and uh, she told us that yeah and the main thing she said is you can't do this alone you know you got to have a launch team and I've been asking people to be on my launch team and of course I have to give them a book let them read it and you know um, put their I'm losing a word but what they think of it on Amazon Um, what word am I needing yeah, put a re- thank you, thank you to put a review on Amazon, and then be my little worker bees because uh, you know we were taught never underestimate uh, uh, word of mouth and people telling about your book and oh my gosh, you got to read this book and so on and so forth. And so now, yeah, I'm planning to have a big launch. I'm already collecting have- presents to give away. Well, that's good. Well, how, you know, getting that
0: contract, I mean, where were you when you got that contract? I mean, because a lot of writers remember that moment when they got their first one.
1: I felt like I had a million. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I had just won a million dollars. Not that I think I'm going to, you know, sell a million dollars worth of book, but it meant so much to me. It meant everything to me, and it was kind of like it affirmed me. Like, I thought the book was really good. Rick thought the book was really good. And my youngest son had been healed of a lot of his um, bad step-parenting issues. And so, I, you know, I knew how the family felt about it. But when you get a contract, and it's in black and white, and it has your name on it, and it has the book of your name. I mean, you, I just started crying. <laughs> you know that makes <laughs> you know what I find that may, <laughs> so affirming
0: about a, a traditional contract is that they are your first readers. Like they read it and they want to pay you uh-huh. for it, just like that's readers right. who will find your book and want to pay you for it. They want to buy it. Uh-huh. and That's what I uh-huh. find so affirming about traditional publishing
1: yes i mean I, like i, I said i mean funny i funny. laughed uh-huh I, I laughed later but i cried first
0: <laughs>
1: it was just <laughs> when i was you home? Home. yes i was at home rick had gone out uh to the mail and he brought it in and of course he was he was about to t- uh, tear up too and i just you know i held on to him and uh, just jumped around and it was just a it was just a real affirming time. I'm not the only one who thinks this book is good. And I felt that way too when my agent started sending all those emails. You know, it's like Wait, oh, I it like the mail. Book. Was your, yeah, was it your it was in the mail it was
0: a contract. Okay.
1: Ah, how exciting? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, it came in the mail. And Rick came wow. in and said, I think I have something here you're gonna want. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how I got it. it. Was an and and I my second book, um, I know that you're not scheduled to talk about this today, but um they I have attend. a contract for it too, and I have a full draft and it's gonna be called God Bless the Child. Because oh, they want now great. I don't yeah, I don't have a contract for the third one, but I know that Eva has mentioned that she would like three book set in the clinic just a series of three Mm. and I've got my first story together for my third one and that I but I don't have a draft but I do have a draft of the one under contract
0: well so then you have to think about what comes after that after the third one I mean I know you can think ahead like you've got the draft for the second one done and then you write a third one but you have to start thinking well what's next
1: you know I know. And the only thing I've written is about, you know, being a therapist to, to very broken people. As a matter of fact, when people ask me at conferences, what do you write? And I say I write about mending broken children. Uh, and that was the way I got a, a lot of attention. I mean, you you can't say, huh, when somebody says they write about mending broken children. I mean, ears peak then. And they're like, tell me more. And and that's what I've done. I don't desire to write about the clinic past the third book. I'm not sure exactly what I've. I have started a novel about my mother. Uh, I think it. I, I think I will probably finish that, and it'll be on a to- new subject. But my yep. mother was such a wo- woman inspired by faith. You know, my father was a minister, but. Now, we joked about this. We always said my mom was so heavenly minded. She was no earthly good, which is not true. (laughs) She was a lot of earthly. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, she was just such a prayer, such a prayer and had such an incredible testimony of being. Uh, divinely healed of stage cancer um, of stage four cervical cancer and God just healed her instantly and she went to MD Anderson before and had one treatment she said she wasn't going back then when God healed her she said I'm going back and I said why are you going back she said I want this to be a documented miracle and it is documented you know you don't have to take my word for it you don't have to take anybody's uh, word for it uh, but she was totally healed and died 35 years later of heart disease. Never had another cancer cell in her body.
0: You know, it is so important to document it. And um, Lee Strobel has a, a book, The Case for Miracles, and he documented all these miracles as like a, mm-hmm. like a newspaper reporter what. And I think it's it right. important to have that, you know, have that proof. Um, so what advice would you give to a beginning author out there, so, to our listeners who who are interested
1: oh oh my goodness go to a writer's conference I mean because like I said earlier I wrote a book I knew it was good had no idea what to do with it absolutely no idea you know I I mean because yeah. who, you know if you don't go to conferences and you don't meet people and be met and, you know, know and be known. When you write a book, no one cares, you know, except am yeah, the family. I mean, mail is.
0: I mean, it's impersonal to send someone a hook for your book over, um, you know, uh-huh. email. And not all not all publishing houses take that, and not all agents take that, you know. Um, so it's very difficult these days to get there. Uh-huh. So confidence is the right way to do it.
1: Oh, so,
0: it's, okay, it's that's great... best piece of advice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, I think I, think, I, think, I think and your spelling. You.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I have prayed over every segment of this book till God's probably saying, okay, I'm going to bless you or shut up. <laughs> One or the other. Yes. I just, you know, but, but I believe that He wants this story told. And back to, you know, how did I not? you know, just be a puddle of mess. Uh, You know, God called me to that chair to do therapy. Even when I was in college, I knew that. You know, I knew the first day I signed up that I went to be a therapist. And it was so funny. People would tell me, I've changed my major. And I think, God didn't send you? (laughs) Because when God sends you, you know what your major is. But I I knew... uh, Even taking statistics classes, I I knew that was it, because I was called of God.
0: (laughs) Well, um, now would be a good time in the show for you to read an excerpt from your book, The Children of Main Street,
1: which comes out on November 15th. Yes, this is the book that releases on November 15th. Let me set it up, since it looks like we have time. Um, Bailey a little girl named Bailey. She starts out six years old and she's a main character in the book. She's a main character in the second book, too, and will be uh, in the third book. Uh, okay, here's how I met her. My heart stopped. A tiny waif of a little girl sat alone in a chair facing Alicia's desk. Her hair was so blonde it was almost white, shot through with subtle hints of red. I stood behind her touched her shoulder the child didn't look at me instead she perched on the edge of the chair her feet still dangling in midair and stared at the floor she wore white tights and a white dress gathered above the waist and dotted here and there with little clusters of baby blue ribbon flowers. Her little white shoes were crowned with, of all things, little blue ribbon flowers attached right below the half moon curve of the slippers, little tufts of tights puckered between the flower adorned curves and the leather straps across her feet. This lovely dress and shoes had no doubt been a dead mother's loving purchase for Easter Sunday. Her mother had been killed uh, six days before I met her murdered
0: oh
1: my gosh wow yeah wow. it's uh, it, it's a pretty heavy book i i give you what comic relief i can but i mean this is uh you know if you're wanting to read something to make you laugh this is not it but if you want to read something that will touch you in every part of your emotions your body, your mind, this is the book, The Children in Main Street.
0: And the description um, is, is so wonderful. Um, you are a meld between um, fiction and nonfiction. Um, a lot of nonfiction writers think that they have to um, really put that, that sort of you know fiction technique of writing into their writing, but it really makes it richer. And um, it makes mm-hmm. the
1: whole
0: experience so much better. It puts you there. It puts you in the moment with the characters, you know.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> when Eva, and, and opposite,
0: too, you know. Yeah.
1: Yes. It, it was so funny when I was writing it and Eva was editing. If I got out of that, she would just shoot back, um, deep point of view, please. <laughs> and so wow, I learned Lisa. to really... Get, Get inside my characters, where the reader would follow me inside my characters, and inside the leading person, which is the therapist, Katie. Well, you know, um, I think what people,
0: including myself, like the most about, um, well, say if I'm reading a nonfiction book, I love the personal testimonies, the stories, and so yes, being drawn. yeah, and uh, so I'll skip past a lot of the other stuff and go for the personal testimony. But uh, in, yeah. in the fiction book that you know, you have to sit there and wonder, well, which part of this is based on the true thing? But it, it, it sounds, it all sounds so so real and uh-huh. so believable that you won't. Yes,
1: know. I don't think I don't think you'll care uh, as the reader. Now, you know, that's just my opinion. But, of course, whose opinion would I give you if I didn't give you mine? But um, <laughs> I know women say that all the time. That's just my opinion. Um, but I I really think you'll get so deep into their stories, and it will remind you of something you've seen, um, something you've heard of, something you've even seen on um Law and order, SVU. I don't think you'll care after a while. I mean, I think you will get so lost in the book uh, that you just really won't care. I think it'll all be um, really relevant, and really personal to you. Well, now, is there anything
0: you won't talk about in a book? Is there yes, there is. You won't go for.
1: Yes. Uh, my physical frailties. Um, I've always felt like God gave me this fierce little spirit in this weeny little body, and I won't talk about that. Okay. I mean, I, 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 that may not be that may not have been what you were looking for at all. But um, and I don't write about my children.
0: Okay. No, no, but I mean, say a heinous crime, or is there some sort of thing that you won't
1: no? Even touch on? There's there's You'll some see. heinous crimes in this book. I'll write about it. Okay. Okay. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, it's real. It's real life. It's real. Way. I mean, uh uh-huh, it's, it's real yeah. life. I know. I had one editor that didn't work out, and she said, "You don't have to go into this much gory detail." And so I read it through again and I thought, well, it could be a little lighter there. So I took out a little bit of it, but I still left the basic story in it. I mean, it ha- you see it every night on the six o'clock news.
0: Well, it wasn't, it, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could edit some of that out for the person who went through it? But you can't. The whole thing happened to right. them, you know.
1: The and, whole thing uh, happened to them.
0: People may not, you know, they may want to soften things up, but it certainly didn't soften the blows the person took, the victim.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I know. And that's why um, <laughs> the, the other editor that didn't work out also, um, she she didn't want me to ever have any negative feelings against the parents that had abused their children. And I, I'm, I'm a human being. And I mean, I'm a human being called of God, but I'm a human being. And when somebody is sitting there telling me, you know, this is his kid. I don't want it. You know, I I married him. He told me I wouldn't have to raise this kid. And now the fact that her mother's been murdered, you know, changes nothing. I'm not raising the kid. I mean, I'm, I can't sit there. And, you know, I would I would let the uh, writer know some of what I was thinking. And she wanted me to feel sorry for everybody. And I'm telling you, Linda, I'm a Christian, but there are some people that just, uh, now I, I didn't say everything that, you know, came to my mind, but I wrote a lot of it in, you know, no parentheses, so you know I'm thinking it. But uh, I don't have to, I don't have to be lovingly tolerant. Of everybody who came in especially when the horror of what they have done is staring at me
0: you don't have to like everyone you
1: you know I mean yeah and that that's the realness
0: (laughs) that's the realness that is the real yes yeah um, of our lives now we're running out of time can you believe it Um, Tell us about your new <laughs> show coming up on mm-hmm. Along Came a Writer. It's on going to be on this very network. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Set, oh, are you okay? That's okay. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and we're set to debut this new show in June. This June.
1: Yes, we are. So tell us, I am really tell. excited about it, and I want it to be a call-in show where people can call it in since I'm a therapist. And the name of my show is going to be The Bridge. And I want people to understand that it's the bridge to wholeness, being your best self. That doesn't mean being perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we all have to forgive ourselves for our frailties, but you can live your best self. And I would, you know, anybody who has a question, and I will be talking about it, uh, that there's life after depression. There's life after anxiety. Um, There's life after divorce. There's life after childlessness or something even happening to your child. And, of course, you know, that's one of the fears we all have is something happening to our child. But there is still a life for you uh, if you will let God and a good therapist help you. So I'm hoping that people.
0: No, no, go on. Go ahead. I'm
1: going to ask you a question after this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm just hoping that people. I mean, even somebody that's fixing, that's thinking about actively ending their life, and think I have nobody to call. Well, I want them to call, you know, into the show at the bridge.
0: And then you'll of course, you know, give them resources, you know, places that oh, they can yes. turn to. Oh yes. Um, yeah, and which is awesome. Awesome. And you're going to have um, guests on the show to talk about, you know, different. Yes, I subjects am. Like depression
1: mm-hmm. and all
0: I'll
1: that. have, you know, I, I just can. think it's so exciting. I'll, oh, I, I do too. I'm real excited about it. And um, I can hardly wait. I mean, I've loved this. I could see how I could be addicted to this, you know, just sitting here talking <laughs> with you. And um, so I'm excited about it. And yeah. I'll have guests who are writers and I'll have guests who aren't writers, who maybe are therapists or even ministers. Yeah. And, and even people
0: you haven't even thought about yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How can,
0: how can readers find you on social media and keep up on when you're, um, on your book is going to be released you know are you going to have sort of a like a newsletter or something you plan on releasing that they can sign up for um,
1: um or, yes know, and you know i'm like getting like i said i'm getting my launch team together and then uh you know we'll, we'll have launches and then i will i will announce on facebook okay um, you know Kind of a, an announcement on Facebook, uh, you know, don't forget it's coming out in three weeks and then two weeks and then a week and so on and so forth. Uh, but they can get hold of me. Now, my website is being revamped right now, but I do have one, uh, Houghtonmarriott.com. and uh, it will be greatly extended over what it is now. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn are you in? and are am i in what hon?
0: on twitter or uh, no, Instagram?
1: But, <laughs> no but uh, a friend is going to help me learn how to do all that i okay. thought they were going to awesome. teach it at the conference you know when they did uh shows or they did workshops on social media but they didn't really give you the beginning steps you know it was a more advanced class so I'm going to have right. to have help with that or even dig it off of uh, Google or, or even uh, YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> you uh-huh. YouTube.
0: Now for people looking for you um, your name is spelled Marilyn Hutton Marriott M-E-R-I-L-Y-N middle name uh-huh. H-O-U-T-O-N and no H-O-W-T-O-N
1: no, yes yeah,
0: and then Marriott M-A-R-R-I-O-T-T I don't know yes, why I said like you, the I, knew, hotel. I knew it was W. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they can find you there and they can connect. And then, um, you know, and you'll be taking names, you know, for those who want to hear when your book is releasing yes, and when I'm sure the next two books will release because they'll be hooked once they read the first one. They'll be like, oh, well, my I gosh, hope sure so. Wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, the and, one um, thing I have. No, go on. Go ahead. Oh, uh, that's one <laughs> thing you always worry about in a series is, oh, my God, the second one can't be a letdown, <laughs> you know. And, oh, no. And so um, I don't think it is. As a matter of fact, it changes a little bit in that I'm not always in the therapy room. I do a little detective work in the second book.
0: Well, that's trying to find it out. Who a bit.
1: I do. I do. I'm not in the treatment room all the time. I'm out chasing somebody that I know did something terrible. Well, and the good thing
0: is you get better and better with each book you write. And um, I want to thank our listeners for visiting with us today on the Alon Camel Writer Show. My next guest will be historical fiction author Annette O'Hare, and she writes for Pelican Books. Um, Marilyn, thank you so much for being on the show. We've had such a great time chatting. And the time, just it just disappears. It goes so fast when it you're It did.
1: And <laughs> having fun. Yes.
0: <laughs> yep, I've
1: had a lot of fun today.
0: Thank you so much. And um, and we'll, we're we going to hear more from you because you'll have your own show.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. And don't forget, it's called The Bridge. Thanks for being on the long day
0: I see.
1: plus.